So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mm, we're drinking two different beers today. What are we drinking first? I think we're drinking the Elysian Dayglow IPA first because we got a little time constraint. So we're rolling with the bottled beer. I approve. Tasty. Is this one of your go-tos? Uh, it's one of my go-to mixed variety packs. The Elysian variety pack when it's on sale at the local Albertsons and Safeway for the twenty ninety nine price is a great deal. Plug. <laughs> Deep plug. Still accepting sponsorships. <laughs> Albertsons will take it. Um, so we're talking about some interesting features today. Uh, they're quite rangy. Uh, Honey Boy, The Earthquake Bird, and Ford V Ferrari. Um, let's just get to the first impressions. Get out of here. Let's jump in. What are we doing for first impressions today? Hala and Wendy. But we'll start with Hala. It was in the quiet, in the moments alone, that she could see herself most clearly. I am of two parts divided. Stranger. Hala. And family. I've never said that. Alright, we just watched the trailer for the feature film Hala. H-A-L-A. Taylor, what do you think? Yeah, it's a trailer for a movie called Hala. I don't think too highly of it either way. I'll probably toss it on since it's uh, instant streaming film and quickly forget about it. I'm glad that more stuff in this space is being made, of course, because this isn't something we normally see. But it didn't uh, look particularly good. It didn't seem particularly uh, provoking or uh, engaging. I like. I'm just glad this content gets made, but it, it doesn't seem that uh, interesting artistically to me. How about you? A little underwhelmed by the trailer. Um, I personally prefer something that has maybe a little more idiosyncrasy than it looks like it has. Um, I think it's a great looking trailer. I think the cinematography looks very sharp. Um, I really like this actress. Um, I remember her best from Blockers, um, so I was intrigued to see her in a dramatic role. I also like Jack Kilmer, best from uh, Palo Alto. I am very partial to that movie. So there are some young actors that I really like. Um, it was the uh, popular Letterboxd user, Sean Baker, also a filmmaker, um, who also said some good things. Cousin? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he had positive things to say about it. Um back when it played wherever it did some festival. So that's what it had put it on my radar. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I, that I will necessarily get to it, but um, was intrigued to see what the, what the buzz was about. Yeah. It seems like it's in the same, I, I guess what I would call the same genre as a film we watched earlier this year from HBO called share. And just like, I'm way more interested in that. And it's, um, artistry, like in the trailer, the way that the camera looked, than I was here. 
by the kind of basic what what to me is kind of a basic look it definitely does remind me of sean baker's sensibilities though so that's an interesting point uh but on to wendy remember the voice in your head the one that said sneak away here is the place it came from All right, Michael, that's the trailer for Wendy. Um, this has been on my radar because, uh, mainly because uh, Josh Larson on Film Spotting was a huge fan of Beasts of the Southern Wild, Ben Zeitlin's film that came out in 2012. And it's like every other month he talks about when is Ben Zeitlin going to come out with another movie. And at some point he mentioned that he finally knew the title and that it was Wendy. Um, so just his own curiosity led to my own curiosity about what might come next from this guy who kind of came out of nowhere and got in the best picture race. Um, looks like very family friendly fair. Um, uh, largely a, a cast of children and sort of a fantastic uh, landscape. Not really my kind of thing to, to get that excited about. If I had to sit down and watch a family friendly movie it might be up there, but I don't do that much period so i don't know we'll see what about you what are your thoughts i watched beasts of the southern wild and didn't care for it <clears throat> so that wasn't a selling point to me when i was introduced to the idea of this title but um i i'm interested it seems like it is a sincere work of a vision um and that's not worthless to me that definitely has worth i'm personally not like looking forward to this movie but i'm very intrigued by the the voice of the camera that I saw, like, I, I think I could like it, um, in a, in a way that doesn't mean that I liked the movie, but I, like, I could have liked that I exposed myself to that art. It's one of those types of pictures. It's also one of the first things in a while that reminds me of, uh, the sensibility that we saw in, um, where the wild things are from Spike Jones. This is the first time I've really seen a, a, a raucous, um, group of, of children, embody that truly for a while so um that stuff's definitely interesting to me i don't know that i'd seek it out in a theater but if it found its way onto my tv in 2020 i wouldn't be too surprised yeah where the wild things are spot on comparison uh on to our first title of the week shia lebeuf's honey boy you have good instincts. I have good instincts? Yeah, I got rodeo clown instincts. instincts. Well, I could never make it in Hollywood. You could if you started when I did. How do you think it feels to have my son paying me? How do you think that feels? You wouldn't be here if I didn't pay you. One of my favorite last names to mispronounce. Oh, it's one of everybody's favorites to pronounce. Um... This is your um, highlight of the week, from what I can tell, out of the three titles we'll be covering. I think you're the most positive on this. You were much more positive than me when we exited the theater together a couple days ago. Uh, why don't you start us off with your thoughts? All right, Honey Boy. This is directed by Alma Harrell, but written by, starring, and based on Shia LaBeouf's own childhood experiences. Um I dug this movie. Um, I do think it felt 
a little bit lightweight somehow. I kind of felt like while I really liked a lot of the pieces, they didn't add up to quite as much as I had hoped, but I did think it was a very interesting um, way of getting involved in an artist reflecting on his childhood, a particularly unhappy childhood and a troubled relationship with his father. Um, I think it's a great looking movie. I think uh, both performances are strong from Shia LaBeouf and Noah Jupe. I actually really liked Noah Jupe um, and think there are aspects that do not work that we will get into. But overall, I am positive on it. What about you? I'm slightly above neutral. Um, I, I give Shia an A for th- uh, like a successful therapy section that is completely sincere and seems to have moved him and been very profound in his life, like mental health wise, A plus film wise. Um, you covered the highlight for me, which is Noah Jupe. And I think that I, unlike you found FKA Twigs's character to really work because of the mm-hmm. silence. Whereas um, the, when we go with Lucas Hedges, there's just a lot of, uh, blathering for no real reason besides to establish the timeline in which the screenplay we're watching unfold happens um i i really think that the disjointment between noah jupe and uh hedges was a a terrible choice and that there should have been a third age um in between um because that that cross jump just does not help the film at all that is fascinating i loved that I, I did not like the timeline switch. Um, I think it. I think it was really well done in the beginning. Um, the correlation built between the stump uh, harnesses and the carabiners and the discomfort of it and uh, the the physical bodies being the same. But once we're at the end, and I'm supposed to believe that Noah Jupe just became Hedges, and I know as much as I personally know about Labouf's life, um, we're missing kind of. Uh, the thing that instigates the breakdown um, mm. completely, right? Like we, we see the child who develops the PTSD, but we don't see the child um, becoming um, in a symbiotic relationship with it without his father. Cause there's mm. a point in his life where he's without his father using the PTSD that his father gave him to perform and, and do all the stuff that, that is his identity better. And that's a lot more interesting than the time jump to me. I, I think that mm-hmm. it does work in the beginning, but it's the end where it just it completely fell apart. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe it has to do with your, uh, you know, the extent to which you're just familiar with LaBeouf's I, I life. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I, I personally, I, I do agree. It is a pretty sharp contrast between the explosive temperament we get from Hedges, who I thought was pretty good, and the not nearly as explosive uh, demeanor we get from Jupe. But for me, what I liked about Jupe's character in that performance is that he's not just this kind of pitiable, vulnerable child. I think you do see, like, a certain strength in him. Like, there are these times when he kind of stands up to his dad, and to me, like, it was just enough of a seed to let me kind of connect the dots myself between that phase and what we see him become. Whereas I wouldn't have wanted it to um, lay that out too clearly for me. I kind of liked being able to um, connect the dots myself. Whereas I, I, I I did feel like I saw how this would 
um, become a traumatic and painful memory that would underpin that kind of intense anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if you if you know what happened in that intermediate period, maybe it's just you just want to see it. Yeah, and I I also have some problems with how it gets away from his life, maybe. Um, because that then I just don't know what to do with the movie. I don't know what level to take it. It's like being at a two and a half ratio of dimension. You know, it, it's not three dimensions. It's not two dimensional. It's working at some two and a half dimensional level where a fully mature um, Shia apparently is acting in Transformers and then instantly transitions into writing the screenplay when that's not actually what happens in reality at all. Because that, that at least seems to be the stunt that he's doing in the beginning. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. The Lucas Hedges stunt when he's pulled by the character. Oh, yeah, yeah. The now, yeah. like, yeah, infamously quoted line. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then that same character is the person who ends up over, gosh, what would that be? Ten years later in the, um, uh, God, what's, what's, where does he end up? What, what is that called? A wellness rehab? center? Rehab? I guess it's rehab, but it's a little bit more progressive it's than that. It's quite the program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that all came about on the set of the Peanut Butter Falcon. So it's mm. just for me to straddle the Peanut Butter Falcon Shia all the way back to Transformers Shia and pretend it's the same age Lucas Hedges doesn't mm. work. There's a lot of meat in the middle between Fury and Lawless mm. and Holes and uh, what well, we miss holes in the movie, you know, so mm. it, there's just a lot of eras skipped over. Yeah. And this yeah. is one of my favorite performers. So I'm not the fairest guy to criticize this writing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it it put out all the emotional dots I needed to kind of connect them. I would agree. I don't think the conclusion where Lucas Hedges um, says to his dad in what, you know, feels vaguely sort of dreamy or maybe kind of imagined. It's a little hard to tell. He says to his dad, I'm going to make a movie about you. I don't think that really works at all, just because even though it's sort of this, you know, metatextual um, choice, you just can't possibly believe that at this point, Lucas Hedges, his character as we know him, is in any way equipped to, like, reflect on it in that way. Yeah. So for me, what it was is like, they just broke, I, I, it's, they weren't making the same movie at that point. For me, it was like Shia had seen the film Sexy Beast and attempted to make a meta textual piece in a dream, very reminiscent to Sexy Beast where the pool's in the backyard and you walk through the house and there's all this implicit meta conversation happening, but at a basic human level, it's just a boy and his dad, but it, it doesn't work the way that the crime thriller that I'm referencing sexy beast mm. works, um, to be metatextual. I, if, if that's an apt metaphor for you, for me, that's just what was triggered by the dream sequence. Yeah. I have not seen sexy beast, but yeah, it, I would not describe this as thrilling in any way for sure. Um, maybe a little meandering at times. Um, yeah, that's interesting. The, the FKA twigs, uh, role. Um, she plays the next door neighbor at the cheap hotel where they live. Um, I just did not feel like there was enough to that character for me to really um, feel what Noah Jupe is supposed to feel in terms of her providing some kind of 
um, support and affection that he doesn't get from his dad. It just it just felt a little a little thin, um, but it went it, it worked for you. I I mean. The, the word that you use, yeah, I would completely disagree because it's all about the feel for me. Now, if it's a logical thing where, like, she doesn't work, I, I could totally see that point. But for me watching the film, I emotionally felt like um, that was sincere. I really did vibe with uh, Jupe and Twigs in their interactions. And when he kisses her on her closed eye, like some of those small tender moments are the exact opposite of the experiences he's having with his father and uh the dichotomy of that absolutely elucidated something deeper about the nature of this child's life and and the full-bodied emotions that he has even if he can't express them at the time yeah all right fair enough um Shia LaBeouf's performance I did really like I do love the choice to play the role he did you know it means that it's not just a reflection on what this felt like for him but it's an exercise in him trying to understand things from the perspective of his father which I just appreciate um as uh you want a small a choice. nugget of, of perhaps joy at least information he told his father that he was going to make a movie about him and told him that one of his favorite actors would be uh, playing him. And then after he tricked his dad into signing the information, he told his father that, in fact, he would be playing his father. Mm. I like it. Uh, did the performance work for you? Did you? Are you glad he did this? that's complex did it work for me yeah it, it was good am i glad he did it yeah but not at the level of the film working at the level of one of my favorite actors getting more emotionally healthy and working through some of his personal demons so that i can get to enjoy more of his work it's just selfish you know like i'm i'm glad he did it for him because i want him to make more of the stuff like you know the range of fury to the peanut butter falcon to Borg McEnroe to uh, Charlie Countryman. You know, like, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think narratively, I think I would agree with maybe most of what you're saying about how there's just some slightness to it. But for me, it just really helped that I thought it looked really good. And I think tonally, it was pretty well managed. I thought it was really funny. Um, and I, I thought that this was pretty sharply directed to handle how often it will drop a funny line into an otherwise very emotional scene um like towards the climax where uh Shia LaBeouf the father character is just finished kind of crying on the toilet it's an emotional confrontation between the two of them and he says I'm growing and you think it's a remark about personal growth and then he says no I'm growing weed on the highway uh I, I don't know I think there's actually some very clever writing um to introduce some lightness into it which mm. without that could have been just um a little a little too somber or a little too i don't know just a little a little bit too much of a downer to put it simply i guess yeah um i think that was actually pretty well managed um it's maybe just kind of the the uh depth of the material is a little bit lacking even though this clearly is a very um painful memory for Shia LaBeouf yeah um I, I think 
because of my familiarity with the subject and the there originally were plans to make a film or maybe it was a, a sitcom originally called rent a dad um with the guy who runs skydance maybe i can't remember uh which fella it was um but it, it was originally when he was much younger going to be like a tv show about his dad and the marijuana growing on the side of the highway which were you aware of that story because it it was a fairly large pop culture story so for me i i as soon as it was introduced i was kind of disappointed personally because it um i i don't know it it straddled a lot of worlds at once and that's not against him it's just like i don't know what to do with all the different timelines and how they clash personally uh yeah when you say pop culture story i don't think so you mean his that did happen his dad did grow weed on the side yeah, of the highway yeah and it, it was it was large in pop culture zines oh gotcha uh, yeah that was that it's was had a few runs in the uh enquirer and you know people magazine it's it's made its runs ever since it happened where every time shia has a big story coming out it's a big deal about his dad growing weed um on federal land yeah, that was, I was not familiar with that by any means. I mean, my, my familiarity with Shia is um, limited actually to the piece. I, I'd read the, uh, was it Esquire that you had sent me, right? Um, oh, yes, the Esquire yes, profile. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, where it talks about... Oh, you um, did read that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, that, my knowledge of his story his real story is is limited to that otherwise i haven't really followed shia labeouf's trajectory gotcha. not an even stevens fan that's where i'm getting oh i did like even stevens but my my affection for it ended when it did three years after it started all right well i think we came to understand that we have a neutral ground that is undefinable on this movie i go. i give it around three year three and a half and a heart yeah i was really debating between a three or a three and a half um so yeah, okay. So there. we're very similar ground. It's just my level of disappointment is only because of my level of expectation. There you go. To earthquake bird. Come on. We have something no one else could share. Don't you know that? I do. Sarah, I know what I'm feeling, and it's not right at all. You must trust me. You're the only person who ever really saw I was. This is a Netflix original film directed by Wash Westmoreland, starring Alicia Vikander, Riley Keough, I believe the, and the actor's name is Naoki Kobayashi. Uh, as you said, based on a novel. I did not care for this movie very much. What about you? Agreed. The end. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig in. Uh, Oof. Okay. <laughs> do, you're like, do we have to? We do. We signed up for this. We did this I'm to ourselves. Very okay with just a, a slightly mean statement saying I don't need to ever watch anything from this director ever again, probably. Ooh. Nothing looked bad, but nothing looked interesting. Um, it's not like a... It wasn't even a cinematography problem. It was just a problem of... 
uh, it looking interesting at any level. Um, you know, this and uh, Haruki Murakami are best left to the page, I think. There's oh, a, is this a Murakami story? No, no, but this right. is very much in the genre of a, a Japanese story in the day gotcha. of the life with uh, multiple characters and their interpersonal relationships where it it just absolutely loses the tension without being on the page. And maybe it could be adapted, but I feel like those exceptions prove the rule. You know, like the only thing I can think of to point to with something like this being successfully adapted is Gone Girl, mm. which to me is Fincher choosing to tell the story. It's like Kubrick making The Shining. Like there are exceptions that prove the rule. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, at the risk of sounding shallow for a movie that I knew going in involved murder in a love triangle between three beautiful people. I was hoping for something a little juicier, a little with a little more energy, a little more life to it. A little more, um, more perfection. Uh, oh, is that a reference to the perfection? Yeah. I did not care for that movie. I don't want more of that. Um, <laughs> but I was hoping for a little more sizzle here. Um, so I'm maybe willing to confess that it's partly to do with expectations, I suppose. And I had to recalibrate that this is as much, you know, uh, an attempt at a character study, I suppose. Um, I just think it's, for me, difficult to leverage that kind of material in this kind of subdued, more gloomy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just do not think these relationships or these characters ultimately struck me as all that interesting or uh, engaging, to put it very simply. Um, uh, I think Alicia Vikander is um, good, I suppose. I think the performance is okay. great, personally. Um, it's just there's no favors given to her at all. Yeah, we start by watching her strike up this relationship with a vaguely enigmatic noodle chef who moonlights as a photographer. And I just did not care for the dynamic between them to begin with. Um, It's intended to be kind of stiff and awkward to an extent because we get that they're both kind of closed off, but that that is then sort of like the basis of the tension in the love triangle I think is a problem because like I was so disinterested in, in, in them as a couple to begin with. Um, and the fact that she is kind of closed off and, and clearly troubled in some way, I just think is too clearly the carrot being held out in front of us. I, I just uh, thought there was something a little um, uncreative about it leading that's, us forward that's a great word uncreative that's also what i would say about the the fight club trope that is constantly simmering underneath where you know it's i don't about every 10 to 12 minutes that we spend with riley kyo and alicia vikander we get another one minute scene of her questioning her identity in a way that is meant to make the viewer think that she could be riley mm. um and that it just doesn't work there there's something about the nature not only of the filmmaking but of the story inside of it that is just not at all suited for this formula of of storytelling the the slipping on the waxed floor in soft socks is not a good enough fulcrum 
for for this type of a filmmaker to make a film now if you told me that that was um the the thesis of bong joon ho's next film i'd be mildly intrigued he would do something interesting with that perhaps fincher would do something interesting with that but um for a director that i'm personally not that interested in um it just the very nature of the story's beats and what I assume is the book's beats are not something that translate easily to film. I would agree. Um, yeah. And I have trouble even kind of like um, taking that much satisfaction in the ideas. Like we ultimately learn spoiler alert as usual that, you know, at least if I can't have this dramatic incident as a child, I think a couple of traumatic incidents, but the kind of key one being she... What was she, 11 uh, or 14? And she went over to her dad, her friend's house, and went and drank out of a distillery with her friend's dad and got pregnant? That was unclear to me whether she actually got pregnant or not. Um, But yes, that was not a happy memory. And then he killed himself? Right. Right. Okay. And then, yeah, the story is the death that follows her. And the mm. pro- that tone management just isn't there. Like, there's no concise tone. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would just add the additional memories of when her brother was pestering her with some of his friends. She pushed him and he, and he fell and hit his head and was killed. Yeah. Um, so it kind of becomes this study in guilt to me. She's... Um, still kind of tortured by that but this also then becomes something about jealousy and i just don't really understand like why one was kind of informing the other um i just i I kind of felt like it was wanting to do two different things kind of be this psychological character study also be this kind of steamy love triangle which was actually not steamy at all but but the Um, problem is there's no internal dialogue to the film Right. And that's the difference in the basic difference in form between a work of narrative fiction that is written and a work of narrative fiction that is presented as cinema. Um, that without doing a voiceover, you cannot do that. And this film does not have a voiceover. It tries to get around that briefly with the opening and, you know, almost ending of the interrogation by the cops. Um, so that she can present everything as a story. Um, so then we're supposed to question her subjectivity to the recollection of the events. It just doesn't, like, nothing I'm saying works about it. You, that's the weird thing. Like, you could say anything about this movie besides Alicia Vikander. And that would be a thing that I'd point to and say it just doesn't work. I would agree. I didn't know going in that it was an adaptation, but it really made sense to me in hindsight when I was thinking about the fact that she is not just, you know, this translator, you know, that's what she does for a living, but also a cellist, I believe. That's Mm -hmm. the instrument she plays, right? Which just seemed like such a strange aside that leads to an incident. That's a Netflix theme. Apparently. That is a niche that they are digging into. If there's into. two women playing leads in a film on Netflix, th- one of them plays a stringed instrument. Minimum. There is That's a the bug in the algorithm somewhere, <laughs> or some coder just dropped that nugget in there to throw a wrench into things. I was very sort of baffled by that 
as like an aspect of this character that just didn't seem to fit um other than to <laughs> lead to this incident where a lady falls down the stairs which could have happened anywhere um so i i think i do actually ha- have a broader conversation which you might find interesting that this film gets us to if we pretend to talk about things other than this film as well like this genre of film i do wonder if the the well, we saw the Goldfinch, right? Uh, cinematography. We didn't see it, but we saw it come out. Um, cinematography by Roger Deakins. I think it was directed by Hooper. Is that right? Tom Hooper directed it, or it sounds right. Um, and it was a box office bomb. It did nothing. No one saw it. Um, and that's a a piece of film adapted from a book. Um, and that used to be a staple genre. Um, particularly when we saw Miramax and Weinstein running stuff. They would have their period piece book adaptations. Um, You know, most notably, perhaps, from them was The Lord of the Rings, but they went on to do some more historical stuff, I think, with Keira Knightley, which we've gone over on this show before. Um, But it seems like Netflix might be in the game of clicks through adaptations of books, where they, they just have to get source material that's affordable, slightly interesting they can market it easy off of some kind of uh you know sleazy headline at some level you know the stuff that we used to see um like headlining on magazines you know like like this content is just um you know love triangle steamy betrayal um and then people click on it right bird box you you can't look you're gonna die betrayal um do you think that there might be a shifting of like the, that genre was clearly profitable and perhaps it's most profitable now for these streaming platforms to option something and then make it with the middle of the road director and get a star that they can say is a star? Yeah, I think that's very possible. I'd have to probably just take some time to think about the other literary adaptations that they've uh, picked up so far. Um just to, to kind of see the the trend, but I 100% buy that. Um, and I am completely okay with them being as pulpy as they need to be or want to be. I actually, that was kind of my problem, is that this was not pulpy or sleazy enough for me. I mean, I think when so much at the multiplex now is very kind of sexless, like, mm-hmm. you know, it is very deliberately meant to not offend in order to yield as many eyeballs as possible, Whereas yes. this stuff, it's kind of the Kindle effect, right? Where people buy Fifty Shades of Grey on their Kindles because people won't see what they're reading. Exactly. Um, and they don't have to buy it from a person in a store mm-hmm. if they buy it on their Kindle. Right. Not that I want more Fifty Shades of Grey, necessarily. Yeah. I don't think that's a great example, although I haven't seen it, to be fair. Um, but uh, I am totally open to... Um, some slightly trashier, Gone Girl esque stuff. Um, yeah, but I mean, to me, that's not out of the question because I I have a feeling that the algorithm is going to pick up on the at least the critical reception of Dolomite is my name, which is a Netflix release, which is raunchy and a little bit um in the vein that you're talking about that just came out. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think we'll probably see more. Um, Amazon Studios has been very open about um, a new category for them being the quote-unquote sexy date night movies. They'll 
be more oh, okay. and more often going straight to Prime Video. Um, so I'm not opposed to that. Um, yeah. I just hope they're sexier than this one was because this was kind of boring. It, yeah. Well, I'm glad that I got to talk about something besides the Earthquake Bird during this Earthquake Bird review. Um, we broadened it a bit. On let's let's race into our next title, Ford versus Ferrari. Do you think you can beat Ferrari? We're lighter, we're faster. That don't work. We're nastier. We're gonna make history. You ready? I was born ready, Mr. Shelby. Hit it. Ford v. Ferrari, directed by James Mangold, one of your favorite working directors. Is that too strong of a sentence? Uh, He's up no, there, I think that's total. I think that's extremely fair. I put him in the vein of uh, Ari Aster, probably, um, where I'm just enthralled by the prospect of what he does next. The, the hyphen being he could do anything next, which is one of my most exciting things in any director um you know scott cooper went from hostiles to a horror movie that we're gonna see next year and this guy made logan the wolverine walk the line 310 to yuma which you're quite partial to Uh, that's probably my favorite girl interrupted um oh i did not know that was him i have not seen that so i i like his range um and i'm always intrigued by his projects so yeah that that's fair Favorite, though? I don't know how many can one have on his favorites list. You dig him. Because we'll if that. there's no limit, then yeah, he's on there. Yeah. Uh, this is starring Matt Damon, Tracy Letts, Christian Bale, others. I was mixed on this movie. How about you? I'm quite positive on it. I'm not stellar on it. I'm a decided four, which for those of us keeping track at home is between a 76 and an 84. I think it's closer to like a 78 for me. Um, but it's, it, it is a hell of a time in the venue that I saw it in. I had a very good time watching it. Um, I think that a lot of the stuff that you're likely to bring up is what's holding me back. The, what, what we will probably reference is the formula to a picture like this keeps it from ever really ascending to a great height, but it is um, just about as good as you can get by following the formula, if you ask me. I would agree. I think the execution is strong, for sure. I think it's a sturdy filmmaking. Um, I would characterize it or describe it as uh, a biographical underdog sports drama set in the world of auto racing, which is to say, all things that are not exactly my preferred cup of tea, but I, I, me too. If I am to watch that kind of thing, I think this is pretty darn well executed. I just did think, as you said, you used the word formula. It just felt very, very familiar. Um, I just kept waiting it for it to surprise me in some way, and it really didn't. Other than the fact that it is just kind of thrilling. Um, to watch these people act as well as they do. Um, really? I, I thought that um, some of the subtext to the the structural criticism of Ford and Ferrari um, was intriguing. Now, th- those gains were also undershadowed by, like, just v- cartoonish villains. Um, but I would definitely point to the the 
subtext of uh, Ford the Second, um, and, and like the whole issue between John Bernthal and the marketing department and Shelby as a lot more intriguing than I expected. I did not expect that level of um, criticism of a structure that is one of the main parts of the piece. Um, I don't know if that rings true for you at all, but I, I'm still slightly surprised that it was more of a criticism of these two structures, Ford versus Ferrari, Ford and Ferrari being criticized than, um, than just a celebration of Ford, which is honestly what I expected. Yeah, I would agree. I think that is the most interesting aspect of it for me, which is that it's less about Ford v. Ferrari than it is about, like, the boots on the ground at Ford mm -hmm. versus management. Um, well, I, and they're contractors, right? They're, like, they're not even Ford. It's Shelby. It's the Shelby company right. consulting for Ford. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's stuff there. I um, thought the, the, the mechanics of the plot to really kind of shoot, to really dig into that um, were... Um, not particularly creative or exciting for me. I just thought the lead up to the race itself um, as a story left me kind of underwhelmed. Although I, I enjoyed myself just watching these people act. I like, I like Christian Bale doing this thing. He's capital A acting and he's one of the guys who can just kind of pull that off. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of the tension comes from whether or not, um, Christian Bell's character is going to be the one to actually drive. You know, we go through this back and forth about whether or not he's the right um, person for the brand. That, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. um, I was surprised that we almost go through that uh, conflict twice because at first they want to swap him out for somebody else. They agree he's going to be the one to go to the race. Henry Ford's, Henry Ford II's second in command is then promoted and that is immediately the same conflict again, that he's then threatening to, to take him out again. Which is what his goal was originally. Right. Like, I believe it. It was, it just felt like it was looking for a story to um, do something until race time. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that those are absolutely fair points. I do think there's a, a, a baby in all that dirty bathwater, though which is the um, divergence of innovation from what's best for a company, hmm. which I, I think is interesting. I think that we see that in a lot of stratas of capitalism, and that's why there's difference between free market capitalists and capitalists. Like Shelby and Ken have a goal of making enough money for their families and to innovate into, they're kind of somewhere between uh, Enzo Ferrari, who's willing to go bankrupt to do this thing, and between Henry Ford, who's willing to sell out completely for his image and for profits. And it's finding that in-between um, that I find interesting. And I think that that in-between is elucidated somewhat. I don't know if it's overt or if I'm reading into things or whatever by watching those close-ups of Christian Bale adjust his foot on the pedal. I found some of that stuff um, some of those basic images of watching his foot go up and down on a clutch and a pedal, extremely engaging. And that's a lot to do with the sound design, but I think it's also to do with the, um, the pacing and the, the editing. I think it was really well edited, whether or not you liked the film. I think it was edited nearly as good as you could edit something that has this as its subject matter. Yeah. I, th I think the, most of the, 
craft is strong. Editing, absolutely, it sounds great. Um, I, yeah, the race itself is as exciting as it could be, I think. Um, it's just kind of startling to me how, how formulaic it was. Um, you know, I think there there is good stuff here that I think could have just been made more interesting had it been willing to push those conventions a little bit. Um, you're right, the ideas are there, but I, um, it didn't uh, make it any, it didn't make it feel any less familiar. Um, I don't know, you know, I keep seeing this kind of held up as the example of the, you know, mid-budget adult drama that we don't get anymore, that we really need to succeed because, you know, it's 20th Century Fox and, you know, what happens if this one doesn't work and mm -hmm. they stop making these? I, I wish that it was an example of a one that was taking more creative risks um, I uh, than, than I think it does. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I personally agree, but I, I see the merit. Um, I've heard a lot of comparisons, I believe, to David Lean in the classic uh, uh, American adult film. Um, I, I believe that he referenced that himself um, in an interview is like that was his goal is to make fair that was easy to consume, um, but meant for adults um, and that maybe has a little bit more lasting power than on first glance. And I think that there are some small flourishes to the piece that are to me a little bit out of bounds with the exact by the numbers formula, which is when um, Ken Miles' wife, uh, I don't remember her name, but she plays the lead in Outlander and she's a fantastic actress and not given enough to do here because she's truly amazing. Um, she takes, she's driving and um, she basically risks their lives to get him to tell her the truth. Um, you know, that's, it's just one of those little things that I don't, I don't think it's going to age poorly. I'll put it that way. I, I think that that moment might be one of those more intriguing moments. I think the choice to show the death rather than to say, uh, Ken Miles later died testing cars for, uh, the next run at Le Mans with the Shelby Corporation would have been the normal move. And instead, they don't end the movie until after Matt Damon's had to look his son in the eye and um, not quite apologize. But, um, you know, we see the the change in him from the beginning of what this meant. And I think the ability of a biopic like this to show an actor change which is what Matt Damon gets to do, is not normal to me in a biopic. Like, when I think about Gary Oldman's performance, it was amazing. He is Churchill to me, mm. right? But he didn't fucking change. Normally, they don't change. Matt Damon changed. And I, I think that um, it's those little tiny nuances to a story that make it an interesting biographical drama or don't. I would agree. I did like the way the death was handled, that it wasn't milked for any more sentimentality or a, any, any, a bigger emotional punch than it needed to be. I think it was kind of subtle in a way. So it's just a weird way to, a weird word to describe a car exploding. Um, yeah, but you but don't really linger on the fire. You don't. It's not a climax by any yeah. means. It's almost like 
the dot 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 this is what happened um and i think that is actually a very nice touch i would completely agree um maybe for me it just it just wasn't it just wasn't quite enough to to offset the the meat familiarity of the rest yeah um and uh yeah i mean you know you you described it as you know something for adults that the that they're just gonna like i completely agree with that and i did like it um but um i just find it a hard one to love um with how conventional it felt i think i would agree it's not above an 80 at all for me but it is genuinely a good time and i think it straddles um age in a really interesting way that i don't really see i I don't think that you and i have been favorable to that many films that we would be like mom dad watch um and i think that 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 does speak to something interesting which is that there is an age gap and that um if you can address that age gap in um slightly different ways in the cinema you can still earn a profit and i think that that is at at bottom what's happening right because we're talking about the the resurrection of um comic book movie guy where, where he kind of established that you could make money off of hard r with logan I believe that happened before Deadpool. I might be wrong. Um, that seems right. And, and then goes on to to make this. But before that, he'd done the classic biopic that everyone knows Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix from. If nothing else, Walk the Line. So, and, and I mean, it's a movie that inspired the greatest adaptation of all time, which is Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Fantastic movie. So th- there's a, there's a, I think a truth to James Mangold's filmmaking that is um, wide appeal, but also having slightly more mature conversations, which which is valuable in the Hollywood context right now. I completely agree. Wide appeal, mature content. I think that is a perfect description. Um, and why I think I'd still probably recommend it to people, to, to a good number of people. Um, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just uh, love to see that str- strength of filmmaking taken to something um, even, you know, riskier in a way, storytelling-wise, okay. and um, hopefully this sets him up to do it. Yeah, I, I I mean, if we could get like an hour 20, like just a tiny movie that's just fast and sleek and gory and sexy from him, that would be fantastic. But we've also seen this part. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's been forever since I saw Walk the Line, and I haven't seen Girl Interrupted. Those seem like more character-focused pieces, and he does seem like he's a good director of actors, especially actors doing big acting. Like, these mm-hmm. are movie stars. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, to... movie stars. He did Night and Day, right? Uh, Tom Cruise, oh. uh, Cameron Diaz. Yeah, um, someone, you know, who can work with that A-list talent and... Um, uh, you know, do something a little more interesting with it. That sounds sounds very promising. Yeah. Um, and uh, if, if if a lot of people see it, that's great. Agreed. <laughs> Watching <laughs> movies is good. It, it, I, this being a success, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd I'd like that to happen. I think that the <gasps> symptoms wouldn't be bad for Hollywood. Word. Um, at, at a point, I I think we're kind of at a point where adult movies are almost fighting a war of attrition of can they even be made have they turned a profit in the last two years 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, we love James Gray. You really going to tell me that his next movie is going to make a profit when these last two didn't? Well, I know. I think, yeah, Ford v. Ferrari is picking up the slack for that one. Yeah. That one, that one hurt. But, I, I mean, name name uh, an adult movie previous to this that made back its budget. Yeah. Uh, not much that I can think of. You got to start going to smaller indies then, which isn't really the same thing. Um, no, it's they're not batting at the same division. Yeah, and I think this is doing pretty well, which is which is awesome. Um, yeah, like I think Motherless Brooklyn was a big victim of this. Yeah, well, a victim? I don't think so. I think that Motherless Brooklyn um, is a beautiful work of art, but it was never going to earn. Right, yeah, that's what I mean. But I mean, maybe once upon a time it would have. Yeah, um, which is also the last adult movie that I would oh, point to. yeah. I walked right into that one. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, other thoughts? Not particularly. Um, Tracy Letts is uh, one of my favorite working writers and actors. And he proves the rule again here by playing forward seriously, but also self-effacingly. And uh, in a moment, beautifully, the emotional breakdown that we get in the trailer doesn't quite tell the whole story of that breakdown. And I thought that that was actually quite believable, Um, although I don't believe it actually happened. I found it very believable to the story, and it it definitely fulfilled kind of a a hollow point in the narrative for me, which is Henry Ford the Sr. I completely agree. I also really liked Noah Jupe here, even though he doesn't get like a ton of dialogue. He's kind of just Renaissance the man. son character, but mm-hmm. our second movie of the week with Noah Jupe. I think he's a strong actor. He's a budding star. He's also a quiet place, right? That's right, which is really funny because I think I might have even put on paper in my letterbox reviews, so not literally on paper, that I didn't like him in that movie. So I think I've done kind Oof. of a 180 on him. Um between these two movies um where i most definitely kind of got chills when i saw the look on his face when ken's car first blows up during training yes and he it's just a look of him being purely stunned which is just the perfect reaction not the scream not the breakdown it's just frozen Mm -hmm. um perfectly played just that one shot um uh so yeah strong i'd like to see him in more Rising star early prediction. Oh, yeah. That's not a bad idea. For you, perhaps. Very Um, good idea. So we'll be taking a bit of a recording hiatus here the next week, and then we'll be back at it following that with a, we don't have finalized yet selection of titles, but quite a special selection if our luck holds out. Many to choose from. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! to go i'm coming with you that was brilliant you're the best and we love you and that's another one in the can